Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right. Welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton along with Phil Dark. Phil, how in the world are you today? I'm doing real well. You know, we're just coming off a Thanksgiving break, which is always just a great time Mm. for me. I mean, I I absolutely (laughs) love Thanksgiving. Not just because of the food, which I do love. I've been known to Absolutely. love food. Um, I think you've been known to love food. We've enjoyed just a little together just over a the years. Yeah. But I also love just the the gratitude, the reminder to be grateful. The you know, it just seems like a time where families are are reminded to get around the table and just say, "Hey, what are we thankful for? And what are the things that God has given us? What are the things that?" we have been able to do for each other and with each other. And especially in a year like this, man, you know, I I think it's good to remind ourselves, what do we have? Not what are the things we couldn't do? I was talking with somebody about this the other day, not what are the things we couldn't do this year because of COVID, but what were the things we got to do because of COVID and the lockdowns and the family time we were able to have for my son to talk with him. He lost, he basically is losing his senior year, which bums me out more than anything. I'm not going to lie, but to say, what could you do? You were able to learn golf. You're able to spend more time, you know, with your dad, which was like the best thing for him. Right. Um, (laughs) And, but, but in all seriousness though, like we're, we're, he's going to go off to college next year and we have time with him that we probably never would have had if he was in school. So those are the things that like right now I am, I'm stoked on, you know, today as we're recording, this is giving Tuesday. And I really do hope folks that you're able to, you know, to have the joy of giving to, to ministries that you're a part of and, and to um, really get excited about being a cheerful giver. And yeah, so, that, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. How about man, you? Well, man, we're good. You know, really great holidays. Um, love, you know, this time of the year and time with family and, and we've had that in, you know, in abundance. And, and I think we're walking through a lot of the same thing. You know, one of ours has his senior year this year. And, and so we're grieving the loss of some things, but there's a lot to be thankful for. And, uh, you know, just really encouraged about, um, you know, about the, the things that we can, um, you know, be thankful for, in, including the fact that, um, you know, we're watching, uh, ministries continue to minister. We're watching, you know, we're watching the, you know, the, the, the things that we care about and, and the things that God's placed on our heart. We we're like, we're watching those things continue even in this, you know, it, it, even despite COVID. And, uh, and I think, you know, at a time like this, especially on a giving Tuesday, there's a lot of, one of the encouraging things today has just been, you know, following and seeing all the emails and things that have come from people um, talking about, uh, a lot of what continues to go on, um, even in spite of the difficulty of, you know, the pandemic. And, and, and so, um, you know, lots to, lots to celebrate. Um, and excited tonight for, uh, you know, for this interview and really looking forward to the conversation we're about to have. Yeah, me too. And so we're going to get to it because, you know, we are folks, you have no idea how the sausage is made on this show. I'm just going to tell you what right now. Um, It's late when we're recording, especially for Rick, but we are so excited to get to this interview and we are going to get to it right now. It's with Jared Shepman of Akisa. He's over in Jinja, Uganda. And uh, right now he's actually back in the U.S. on on a little furlough, but uh, most of the time he spends his time over in Uganda doing some amazing work that we get to talk with him about tonight. So without more from from Rick and I, um, we're going to get right to it with Jared Shepman. Jared, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, buddy. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we were able to just give a little introduction um, of you to our to our audience, and I'm sure some of them know you already. But as with most of our guests, I'm sure a lot of our audience does not know who you are. And uh, so one of the things is, you know, Rick and I both, I think we love this part of the podcast as much as anything, mm-hmm. just hearing stories, hearing your story of really how God captured your heart um, with uh, a love for orphaned and vulnerable children. And how you started working with uh, Ikisa in Uganda? Yeah, 
Well, um, yeah, I think you kind of nailed it. You know, you you just used the phrase like how God captured your heart. And I think that's such a key part of my story. Um, I actually kind of started my my career in youth ministry as a youth pastor, went to a Bible college in in Southern California and, and did youth ministry for for a number of years. And, you know, in the midst of that, ended up in Uganda on a missions trip and kind of just, you know, fell in love with the place, you know, like, like a lot of people do, um, for, for no real reason, just kind of took, took me and and my future wife's heart actually went on that first mission trip with my fiance at the time. Um, and so, yeah, we kind of always had a, a place for Uganda in our hearts. And, and eventually I, I stepped away from, from the church world and was pursuing other opportunities. And, and by that time, we'd actually been to, been to Uganda, I think, three other times at that point. And we always had said, like, hey, if we ever had the opportunity to, to go for a couple months, you know, to not just go for a couple week trip or something, let's do it. And so... Uh, the time kind of presented itself. And so we were able to go for, for about three months uh, over to Uganda to serve um, at a children's home. And, and it was one of those things where it was definitely not planned. It wasn't, wasn't something I ever thought I would be doing. Um, I remember, you know, being in Bible college and taking, uh, you know, taking a couple of classes on like missions and stuff like that. And just thinking like, ah, this is a waste of time. Like I'm never going to be a missionary. Uh, you know, I have no desire to live overseas. Um, and, uh, and so for me, it was just a really slow kind of progression. And so after that, um, that kind of longer, you know, I say longer that, you know, three months stint in Uganda, we, we came back to the States and we we're still trying to figure out what was next. And we just felt really clear. Like, I think we're going to, we're going to move long-term and, and we love, you know, working in, in ministry and in children's ministry in particular in Uganda with, with the OBC kind of, kind of sector. And so, yeah, so an opportunity presented itself to, to go back and, and we moved, we moved full time and, and yeah. And then what actually happened was, was that, that move ended up being a little shorter than anticipated. We moved back to the States after about a year and a half kind of thinking our time in Uganda was over. And lo and behold, a few months after that, um, Akisa, where I currently work, had an opening for their executive director position. Um, you know, and I had never, I mean, Akisa, if, if you don't know us, um, Akisa works just with children with special needs and disability. Um, I had, you know, no background in that. I had no experience, you know, very, very little experience in working with children with disability. Um, but in our, when we had moved to Uganda the first time, we had met a boy uh, named Saul. And Saul was our introduction into the world of disability. Um, he had been brought to this, this children's home. Um, he he kind of had more severe disabilities. He was nonverbal. Um, he was deaf. He had epilepsy. He had, he had a lot of different things going on. And we, just, we were just always around Saul. And, and from, from Saul, um, who eventually came to live with us and we fostered him for a year, we learned a lot about what exists for children with disabilities in Uganda. We learned a lot about what doesn't exist for children with disabilities in Uganda. Um, we, I, I myself learned a lot about special needs and disabilities. You know, we, we had to. We were fostering this boy. We learned a lot. We, we devoted a lot of time um, and and praise God, like we saw him make tremendous progress developmentally in the year that he was with us. And, but, but it was in that time that it was just God kind of growing my heart, growing my wife's heart um, for Uganda, for this community, for, for people with disability. And, you know, again, something I, I never thought I would be doing, but then when the, when the job for Akisa was posted and we saw it, you know, online or on their Facebook or something, you know, I read through the job description and everything that they like had listed as you know requirements and job duties, it was just it was just tick every box. It was just the absolute perfect fit. Um, and I remember, um, I actually I, I got to preach a sermon in Uganda at our church that we go to now a few years ago. And kind of looking back on that entire time period, and it was really 
it was four years from when I decided to step away from the church to when I ended up at Akisa. And, and as I look back over that four-year journey, it was nothing but steps of preparation to get me to, to where I want, to where God was sending us. And so, yeah, super cool. But, you know, when, when you love your job, you know, you never work a day in your life. You know, the best jobs are when, you're, when your skill set and your passions converge. And uh, that's, that's exactly where I am. So. Jared, that's awesome. I, you know, I think you, you remind me of a, of a saying that a missionary buddy of mine reminds me of all the time and, and that God doesn't waste anything. And, you know, and, and all those kind of twists and turns along the way, the way that the Lord, you know, prepared you. And, and you alluded to a little bit in your answer about um, the children's home that you worked in before you were at Akisa. And I mean, I'd be curious just to hear you talk a little bit about how that experience and being involved in a children's home really kind of shaped some of the things that you believe about, about ministry and, and kind of helped to, to shape your ministry philosophy and the way that you approach um, caring for orphan and vulnerable children now. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a lot of, a lot of learning. Um, we have, we have a lot of great memories um, from that organization. There's another children's home in Uganda. Um, we have a lot of things that we learned. Uh, you know, what, what, what I've come to find, find out about working in, in this sector, in the OVC sector, is that there's a very, a very diverse understanding when it comes to orphan care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for if, if you're in the church world and I, I come from the church world, you know, I pastored, I did missions trips, you know, um, what, what we see is very different and what actually takes place on the ground. Um, you know, I, I tell people a lot of time that, that orf, orphan care is, is very messy and it's very dark in a lot of places. There's a lot of bad that happens in orphan care globally. Um, and we never talk about that, you know, and, and I, I'm happy to see that, that more conversations are happening in, in the global church of like, yeah, we need to do something different. This isn't working. But I still think we're, we're missing a point of, of sharing the truth of what orphan care is like for most children around the world, right? You know, we hear some of the statistics, you know, 80, 80% of children, you know, in orphanages have a living parent. Um, but there's just, you know, it's so, there's so many things that, that go into it that make it not the glamorous thing that we see on social mm-hmm. media, even the best orphanages, right? Even the mm-hmm. best children's homes. Um, what was a huge blessing for me was we worked at what I'd consider kind of a large children's home. We had about 180 children at the time. And it was, it was one of those organizations where it, it kind of had everything. We had a clinic on site, we had a primary school and a secondary school and a church. Um, and it kind of creates this little compound, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's where you live and that's where you grow up and that's everything that you experience. And, you know, one huge drawback is for, for a child growing up in that is they have very little interaction and experience with the outside world, you know, and even some of the most basic things. Um, I was just talking to, to another, uh, a guy in Uganda who's a big care reform advocate. And he was talking that, that his organization, they've been able to start kind of this life skills course mm-hmm. for, for people who come out of orphan care, who don't know how to get a national ID, who don't know about citizenship, who don't know how to open up a bank account. Right. Um, you know, and some of those basic things that your, your father or your mother or your uncle or your grandma, you know, would naturally, you know, show you a lot of children don't get to do that. So, um, but it being a big, uh, a big children's home um, allowed me, my position there was, was a little bit of everything. And so I got to work in a lot of different departments, doing a lot of different things. I, I came from the pastoral world, uh, but I also have an MBA in leadership. So I've always been business and administratively minded. And so I did a lot of kind of management projects. I got to do some child development work with, with some of their care staff. I got to work with their social work department. I got to work with the clinic, with a cooperative insurance program and, mm-hmm. and a lot of different things. And so the biggest blessing for me was I gained a lot of experience on, you know, how to work in that particular culture and setting, which was great preparation for my move to Akisa. Um, on the flip side, you know, I mean, one, one learning 
that really sticks out, I think, is that it, it doesn't matter how much money an organization has and a children's home has. Doesn't matter how nice the buildings are. Doesn't matter how many staff they have. It doesn't matter if they're, you know, group home focused, right? Um, no matter how much you want it to be like family, it will never be family. Um, and and that's just that's just the case. There's no way around it. Uh, another big learning, and and I would say this this my assumption is that this is true globally, is that. In, in orphan care and in institutional care, that the majority of caretakers are not at all equipped to do the job that they're doing. Um, that, you know, they're not equipped to deal with, with trauma and separation right. issues. They're not equipped to do with attachment issues. They're not equipped to deal with developmental delays that naturally occur in institutional care. Um, you know, they don't know how to discipline children, you know, that aren't their own. And, you know, part of that comes with like, it's, it's a particular job that requires a specific skill set. Um, but it's also one of the things like I found in Uganda, we actually, we have some Ugandan friends um, who do pastoral work and they started years ago doing a parenting class. Mm -hmm. um, and so they'd find, you know, young couples in their church who were pregnant for the first time and, and they'd say, we want you to come to this parenting class and, and go through this curriculum and, and even come stay at our house for a little while and see how we raise our kids. And the response that, that they still get, even to this day, years later, is that it, it's information that most young Ugandan couples had never considered mm -hmm. in, in kind of a, a strategic, a, a biblical way to parent. Sure. And because they're not brought up that way, it's, it's sure. very different. It's a different culture. And so... But some of those things, Akisa, we just did a, um, a foster care training for some foster cares. And, and a couple of people who went through it, they're like, I, I wish we would have had this training before we had our own children right. Um, right. to deal with, with discipline issues, to deal with you know, child development things. And, and how do you approach these? And it's, it's just something that we don't, we don't really talk about much, like in Uganda, in our, in our setting, um, you, know, you kind of just go with the flow. And, and there's a lot of pros you know I, I love you got in culture that's my home you know um but there's there's a gap when it comes to institutionalized care that people are not equipped to deal with those things that take place so. yeah and i think you know i think even you know even as i'm listening to you say that it, it just occurs to me uh, again that the, you know that idea of one of the ways that i think we need to you know we need to think about partnership in in being able to partner with ministries is in, in how we're, how we're helping to, how are we helping to pour into caregivers? How are we helping to yeah. build capacity for parent training and for family engagement yeah. and those kinds of things? Because, because, you know, because obviously the thing that, you know, that fills up Instagram and, and, you know, that everybody kind of seems to want are those, are those moments with kids. But truly, if we're going to, you know, the, the, where we have an opportunity to have impact is to come in and, and add value and come alongside, caregivers and those folks that are there 52 weeks a year, you know, that are there 365 days a year and, and, and to, to build capacity, you know, with them. And so, man, I love to hear that because that, that's, you know, I think you're, you really struck a nerve just honestly in that, you know, in, in that part of, um, you know, what you said about your conviction. And I think if, mm -hmm. uh, until we begin to, to really make the pivot in the church here in the West, to begin to think in terms of how to, how we support those things. Um, yeah. We're always going to be chasing behind something instead yeah. of yeah. You know, getting out in front. And, and as we think about how we equip, you know, staff at children's homes, obviously, you know, reintegration, you know, transition, you know, deinstitutionalization, like that's what we're moving towards as a sector. Sure. Right. But you have to equip the staff, in that capacity with that end in mind, right? right? I know one of the things like when we have, um, you know, professional volunteer staff come to Akisa in their onboarding, one of the things we talk about is like, our goal here at Akisa is for every kid to be reintegrated in family. Mm -hmm. So what we do here has to be aimed at that. Mm -hmm. um, the way that we interact with children while you're here is aimed at the fact that they are going to not stay here. Mm -hmm. So we always want to be mindful of that, that it's, it, it, the role of a parent, the role of any parent is not to raise children. 
it's to raise adults, right? You are preparing your child to leave the house and go off and be an adult. In institutionalized care, we have to think with that mindset of, I am preparing this kid to go and live in their culture in a family. Yeah, you know, and there's so much, obviously we could talk for days and days about that answer and just mind that, you know, unfortunately we don't have that time to do that with you tonight because um, Rick will fall asleep if we go much longer than we're already going to go. But, um, you know, some of the things you talked about there, I mean, it's funny, the last guest we had on Lisa Qual, she talked about that too with this, a lot of the stuff, you know, she learned uh, from TBRI training and from some of the other stuff out there, she wishes she had in her parenting, right? Like of her biological children. I said the same thing, like, you know, I don't have adopted or foster children, but I use these things in mine. But one of the other things you talked about there really was you, you alluded to some root causes, some of these issues that we talk about, some of the, the family separation, some of the, um, the poverty that's going on, the fatherlessness that we have in our in Uganda and everywhere around the world, and here in the U.S. as well. But one of the you know things I really want to talk to you about, really, right now, is the 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 difference between addressing just addressing the root causes, which we talk about all the time on this show, mm-hmm. the foundational issues. Uh, versus addressing symptoms. You know, I often talk about just putting a Band-Aid on a gaping head wound, right, which we often will do. Um, And so talk about that as well as, you know, as you're talking about that, really talk about what are the root causes um, relating to orphan and vulnerable children that Akisa is addressing in in your ministry. Yeah. Yeah, I can can definitely just focus on on our kind of sector of children with disability. Um, It's... It's something that I, I'm I'm super passionate about, you know, because if we're not working towards root causes, then right, we're just spinning our wheels, right? Like you said, we're putting a band-aid on it. And so, you know, as an organization, it's something that it has to be continuous evaluation. It has to be, you know, continuous looking at, you know, are our programs addressing this in the right way? Um and it's, it's hard, especially like I'm a Westerner, um, you know, probably, I mean, not the majority, but as a, a percentage of our leadership team at Akisa is, is Western staff. And so from a mindset, like we might come in with our ideas of how to solve these problems, right? And they may not be the right approach. They may not work in that, that culture and setting. So there, there first has to be an open-mindedness and a, an attitude of continuous evaluation of are we doing this? Can we do it better? Can we do it quicker? Can we do it with better quality? Um, Is there something that we're missing? I think every organization as a whole, like has to take in that mindset all the time. When it comes to children with disability, what we have found to be true when we look at the, the deeper level problems, the root causes, is we would identify kind of two things. So one would be the value of the child. Um, children with disabilities are often undervalued or not valued within their families and communities. Um, they are, they're discriminated against. There is extensive stigma. There's lots of false assumption and belief that the child is cursed or the parents sinned against God or someone bewitched you or, or whatever it is. Um, you get that, you get, uh, you get stigma and discrimination that can come externally and from from neighbors from acquaintances you get it internally as well within the own family right Uh, a parent might have four children and they might have another child with disability and they just see that this child is is a burden to my family right they cost more money they're not going to help around the house you know they can't do this they can't do that and so their outlook and their worldview and the place that this child holds in the family is less than the rest. Um, and so that in itself, the, the idea of value is a huge part of our work, right? The other part is, is services. So you go anywhere in the world, a child with disability or special needs will need extra help. They will need extra services. Doesn't matter where you are. Help with education, extra medical costs, you know, therapies, all these different things. And in more developed countries, we see that there are government services and subsidies to help cover those costs or provide those things directly, right? 
in in developing countries such as ours in Uganda, the government provides little to nothing in that in that aim. And so as an organization, we exist to fill that gap, right? Knowing that these services are needed, um, we have to fill that gap. And if, if you don't fill that gap, right, if the child's not going to get the services, then they're going to have diminishing quality of life. They're going to, they will be a burden onto their family. And that leads to family separation. That leads to abuse. That leads to neglect. Um, it leads to all those surface level problems that we encounter. So we've got to address that deeper one. What's interesting though, is that they're very intertwined. And so when we look at value and we look at, at services as an organization, I, we can go to a family and we can say, you know, we don't, we don't do this, but let's say I went to a family and we said, listen, we're going to cover all your medical bills hundred percent. We're going to pay everything for your child to go to school. We're going to provide all the therapies that they need, no cost to you. Um, we're here to help you, whatever you need. Right. If the child is not valued within that family, then it doesn't matter what we provide. Right. Those services, they'll never bear full fruit. The child will never reach a state of thriving. Um, and so you've got, you've got to address that root cause of helping uh, a parent, helping a family to see the inherent worth within a child, to understand where their value comes from, to overcome the false assumptions and, and, the, and the lack of knowledge that they might have regarding their child's disability so that they can hopefully become their child's biggest advocate, knowing them, valuing them, fighting for them to get what they need. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's so good. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, and that's, that's exactly, you know, we like Rick and I, we talk about this with our guests. We talk about it amongst ourselves so often that it's those things that we could give all these kids so much, but if they don't know their identity, if they don't know who they are, and if the parents aren't, aren't teaching that and, and if, the ter- if the parents don't know it, right? If the parents don't know that their child is a child of God, who's created for amazing, unique, you know, gifts and talents that, mm. that God created for them beforehand, right? Like those are the things that, um, that are just, we have to, we have to get there. And so with, you know, with that understanding, um, you know, how is Akisa addressing those, those root causes? Um, what are the different, you know, programs you're addressing them with, but just, you just, as an, as a ministry, how are you addressing those root causes and the foundational issues to hopefully reverse, um, those issues? Yeah. Yeah. So for Akisa, um, as, as much as, as we love family preservation and, and children being in families, and that's one of our, our core values, we are still a children's home. Um, and, and honestly, to get to the point where we have no children living at Akisa, like realistically, it's a very, very, very long ways away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that. But the fact is, we always say, like, our goal is zero, and we're going to continue working towards zero. Uh, we're a small children's home. We have we have 16 kids in care with moderate to severe disability, um, uh, but we work and, and we do whatever we can to either reintegrate them with their own families, um, to find alternative families for them. And so, with with residential care in particular, you know, when we look at you know solving those root causes, when we talk about reintegration of a child with family, um, it has to be extremely individualized um you know more so we talk about you know best what's best for the individual child all the time um this this is the extreme case of it's not it's not a set program you know i, I think i heard ellie laswald you know like you, you can't just have a four-step system you know for for every child and yes you want to have your social work processes and protocols but but you have to address it so individually when it comes to a child with special needs and disability and, and do so much preparation with a family to be able to care for them. When we, when we start a reintegration case, uh, and we actually have one like going on right now that, that I'm hoping will happen in the next month, hopefully. Um, but the first question that we ask, the first question in our social work flow chart is, is the family willing? Not are they able, not are they capable, not do they have a bed, not do they have food security. No, are they willing to care for the child? And that addresses that issue of value. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so we, we address that and we identify barriers and we, we come up with a, a plan for the social workers to help the family overcome those barriers and gain the understanding that they need to have primarily about the child's value and worth and, and place, um, not only within, within God's eyes, but within their family, right? Um, and so that's, that's super, super important first step. And I tell you, if you don't overcome that first step properly, then it's going to lead to failed reintegrations. Um, and we know that from experience. We've had failed reintegrations who children, children who ended up back in Akisa uh, because they regressed in their homes because we had to do more work with the family to make sure they were in the right mindset and view of this child. So, um, so our residential home, that's, that's one of our programs. Our, our second program is our community program. And this is really the aspect of family preservation and filling that gap in services is kind of the primary focus on that. Um, one of the things that we're figuring out right now is we're kind of writing um, the framework for a pilot program to modify this a little bit because we again see that if we don't address that issue of value within a family that again, right, we can provide services, but we're going to be frustrated. Um, we're going to have families who aren't cooperative. We're going to have who have families who are just in it for, you know, what they can get out of a Kisa. We're going to have families who aren't putting in the effort that their child needs. And so what we're trying to do is, is write this new pilot program again, to make those two root causes, um, you know, tie together a little bit more. Uh, we've got to start before, you know, before someone is going to be enticed to, to join our program or they'll want to join our program because they know we can provide things for their child. Mm -hmm. um, but we know that like, we want the first thing that we do with you is to get to the heart of the issue. And so our community program serves about 75 children right now, um, providing social work services and medical support and therapy, assistive devices, um, access to special education. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to fill that gap in services in a really holistic manner uh, but at the same time, it has to be some sort of a, a programmed and systemized approach of discipling a parent through the journey of finding value in their child and understanding their child's worth, understanding their disability, understanding how they can care and advocate for their child so that they become less dependent on us as an organization, right? So... Our, our third one is Akisa Academy. So we run a small school um, specific to children with special needs where we're trying to go with this um, and some things were obviously delayed this year, uh, but we, we sat in our strategic planning meeting a couple of years ago and we said, okay, let's, let's go up to like the 30,000 foot view for a second. Like we're doing special education and I proposed the question to our team. I said, okay, how are we going to educate every child with disability in Uganda? And it's like, okay, let's, let's think outside the box a little bit. Right. It's like, well, we can't just replicate our schools because it's, it's too cost intensive and, and it'll be too hard and take too long. And so we started talking about this idea of partnership and inclusive education. Mm -hmm. So we said, what if we went into existing schools and we came alongside them and said, Hey, we want to help you start a special needs classroom. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're moving towards now. Um, and so it's a, it's a super exciting initiative. We have two organizations we're working with right now um, in Uganda. Um, and what's great is it can look different for every school that we partner with of what we're able to provide or not. But our goal is like, if we can start help other schools start special education classrooms, then it, it takes the burden off of us. It expands the reach. It reaches way more children. It, it also solves, it addresses the issue of stigma, right? When, when you grow up isolated um, from children with disability and all you hear is talk about, you know, those people over there, don't, don't touch that guy, you know, you'll get what he has, you know, don't go near that one. Um, you carry those assumptions on into adulthood, right? When, if you grow up in school and there's a child in a wheelchair in your class and you have to push him up the hill every day, like you're going to have a very different outlook about persons with disabilities in your life. And so opportunities for inclusion and experience opportunities for, for buddy programs and 
and education about disability within schools, within young people is going to totally change, you know, that, that culture of stigma that exists in Uganda and so many other culture and so many other countries. And so, so we're excited, you know, we're, we're always thinking with our programs, like what's, what's next, what's the root cause, what do we need to be focusing on? And so it, it's an exciting time at Akisa. So. Yeah. It sounds you know, like I, it, you know, I, 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 Rick's going to get jump in here in a minute, but I, I just want to say to that, um, that the, um, I love that idea of the bringing the kids into the school because that's something that we talked about a long time ago. In fact, I think we talked about it. I, I talked about it so many places. I'm pretty sure it's in a pursuit of orphan excellence shows how much I know the book, but, um, uh, that, that idea of being able to bring orphaned and vulnerable children, really, I mean, a lot of the kids are vulnerable around the world, but the orphaned children into the schools, because like you said, that's a place to be able to integrate those schools. So it's not that stigma of those are the other kids, like there's the orphanage mm -hmm. school, right? Yeah. It's no, it's a merged school. It's an integrated yeah. school. And so it's that same idea, that same concept. I, I yeah. absolutely love what you're doing there. And it's, that's so encouraging to me. So just wanted to point that out there. So Rick, Back to yeah, you. and I and I think it just you know that again just really underscores something we talk about a lot on you know on this show is the idea of collaboration and and the fact that you're not just focused on those things that you're doing in your own ministry and and kind of in you know those things that that are you're responsible for immediately, but thinking about how are we working with people on the outside, how are we equipping schools, how are we mm -hmm. you know how are we transforming the community through collaborating with others. And, and, and I know that's something that's a big core value that you guys have and, and something that you're, you know, you're diligently working on. And so, man, Jared, I'd love for you just to kind of unpack a little bit about how, how you're collaborating outside of your ministry and how you're kind of building bridges with other ministries and, and other opportunities in the community to, to share resources and, and to, to widen your impact through collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, collaboration, it's, it's something I'm very passionate about. It's something that, you know, thankfully, um, Akisa, I think, has had, you know, since its, since its founding. Um, the idea of being, you know, open-handed, um, you know, helping, helping other people, whether that be in our, our own city, our own community, our own country outside. You know, ultimately, and I, I don't know if I carry this more coming from the church world, but we're, we're all part of the same team right? We're all part of the same kingdom. We're all trying to accomplish the exact same mission. Um, you know, if you're a believer, if you're a believer and, and you're following after Jesus, um, no matter what, what small sector and sliver of that kingdom you're working in. And so, you know, we've got to keep that in mind. And, and obviously we talk about in the nonprofit world a lot, how we're often siloed and secluded and, and uncollaborative. Um, and so I, I do my best, you know, to, to actively, I guess, push against that. And, and it has to be, you have to prioritize it, right? You know, some things you have to just put on your calendar because they're, they're important. You want them to be important to you, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so as, as I've been at Akisa, so I've been at Akisa for four years now. And as I've learned about not only the work of Akisa, but the OVC sector as a whole, I, you know, I'm still kind of, I'm kind of a new fish, right? As I was the new fish thrown in the deep end of the pool is what I feel like, right? Um, when it comes to children with disability, like in the sector, what I've found to be the biggest truth is that organizations are just not equipped to work with children with disability and special needs. Um, we, get, we get lots of calls from other organizations locally of, hey, we have this kid, you know, we're not sure what to do with him. Can you guys help? Um, you know, we have this kid living in our children's home. Can we transfer him to you? Um, you know, we get inquiries from, from other countries, you know, other organizations and stuff like that. And as I've, as I've come and, and I've talked and I've, I've read reports and I've seen deinstitutionalization happen and I've seen how children with disability are, are really just set aside. When we, look at, when we look at global efforts happening for care reform, at this point, we're just starting to really talk about, hey, what about children with disability, right? Mm -hmm. And what's, what's sad is it's a big percentage of OVC. You know, in, in Uganda, when you look at children as a whole, 
um, children with disability represent 10% of the population. When you look at institutionalized care, I don't, there's no exact data from this, but we've tried to pull together some research and talk to a lot of other people. And probably somewhere around 40% of children living in institutions right now of 8 million children living in institutions have a disability, 40%. Um, and it's because care reform happens in some of these countries and you see Eastern Europe and you see Rwanda and you see we're going we're gonna to reintegrate children, but let's just wait on the children with disabilities. And so you're left with orphanages full of them, right? Um, and so in a, lot of, in a lot of areas of this work, we're not equipped to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. And as... As, as a Westerner, you know, sometimes I have little grace for that, you know, as, as, I've, as I've grown, I guess, in, in my grace and understanding work at Akisa is this idea of you have to meet people where they are. I can't, I've, I'm to the place now where when a child is abandoned, you know, the first question I have to ask myself is, is what got the parent to that place where they felt this was their only option, right? And I am not at all a naturally merciful person right like you know my first reaction is like hey, somebody needs to arrest that person like they need to go to jail right but we have to meet people where they are and so if if as a sector if, if people working in ovc are not equipped to work with children with disability right well then the the, the systems have failed them social workers who come out of university have little to no knowledge about working with children with disability nurses you know, in developing countries have little to no knowledge, even doctors, right? Um, and, and there's so many things that need to be addressed from all levels, from the on the ground practitioner level up to the, you know, people writing policy and care reform level, that if, if we don't start talking about this, we're gonna be left with only children with disability in orphanages, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so what we, as, as that began to strike me, it's like, okay, well, there's not a lot of Akisas. There's not a lot of organizations in working in developed countries who are only specific to children with disability, who've done reintegration, who do you know, family preservation work, who do education work. And I was like, well, we're kind of uniquely positioned to offer some good insight from everything we've learned in the last 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. and, li and like I said, we've made a lot of mistakes and, and we haven't had a ton of children, you know, come, come through Akisa, you know, we're still relatively small, but in those things, we've, we've learned a lot. It's like, well, let's share whatever we can with everybody we can, because again, we're all on the same team. And so one of the things that we, we kicked off this year is a training and equipping department. And so we're, we have, we have a girl who has a master's in social work from, from the U.S. And we have two Ugandan social workers who are forming this department. And their goal is just to write resources, you know, get everything that we know and have learned at Akisa into some sort of form that is, is teachable and distributable mm -hmm. and free. Um, let's start offering consultation to other organizations in a kind of a more official manner. Um, because again, like it's going to get children home. It's going to get, it's going to keep children in families. It's going to give children a better quality of life. And those are the things that we at Akista are passionate about, you know? And so this is just another way that we can go about accomplishing our mission. So yeah, being collaborative. I think one other, one other thing I'd love to hear you just kind of talk about a little bit is in the in the foster care collective that you're that you're part of you talked about the foster care training that you guys are doing and the realization that um probably not every foster family every family that presents themselves for training is is going to be in a place where they can you know take yeah. a child with you know with disabilities yeah. or there, there's yeah. very strata of that and and you guys have a a, a pretty you know healthy philosophy about what you do with those families and how you, you know, how you cooperate with other ministries and all that. And just would love to kind of hear you just talk a little bit about, about what you're doing through your training and the ways yeah. that you're collaborating in that collective. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have a very healthy philosophy and a very, very young program. Um, our program is, is really brand new, but again, it was one of those things where we were asking the 30,000 foot view question, like, 
what do, what do we need to go do to get our residential children back into family? And, and foster care is the best option for children who are, who have untraceable family who are truly orphaned, um, which represents um, a little more than half of our children in residential care. And so we said, okay, well, if we start a foster care program, there's some other, you know, ones happening in Uganda. And we start going around and, and training people and recruiting foster carers. Not everyone can take a child with special needs, right? And that's, that's fine. Like, I get that. Not everyone's equipped. Not everyone has that heart and passion. So we said, okay, if we start doing it, let's just say like one out of 20 says that they could take a child with disability. Okay, well, what are we going to do with the other 19 people? Just like tough luck, you know? Right. And it was like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. So I said, well, let's just do it as a collective. Let's, let's try to get all the children in our county, in our district, back into homes. Mm-hmm. And so we can partner with the other children's homes that are here. The, the collective can form, you know, as a project have these member organizations of other children's homes and the, the project and the funding will go, go towards outreach events and educating people about foster care, um, you know, doing assessments, doing foster care training, and basically producing, you know, what, what we call, um, you know, approved foster cares mm-hmm. who are ready to be matched. And so as, as, as a project, which is a key says project at this point, eventually we, we see the project just becoming its own organization mm-hmm. that Akisa would then just be another member of. Um, you know, that's what makes the most sense of, hey, let's let's work together. Let's all accomplish the same goal. And so it's, it's just getting going. We just ran our first um, foster care training and put the first couple families through training. It was all on hold for months and months because of COVID. And so, yeah, we're just super excited again. Like I said, the philosophy, like I truly believe in, um, you know, and it, it takes when, when you have somebody who's, who's passionate about collaboration and working together, like it's naturally contagious, yeah. you know, but it takes one. So, so don't, don't wait for other people to reach out to you, like be the one to reach out. Like if you want a friend, be a friend, right? Like, um, start a network, you know, find other OVC organizations in your, in your area and be the person who starts a network meeting and Hey, we're going to get together once a month and we're just going to share what's going on. And you know what you, you, you will probably get very little out of it. Right. But collaboration is so important and the little bit that you get out of it will, will be the salt that you need. Right. It'll be that little bit extra that you need to, to guide your programs, to guide your decisions, to guide your philosophy, um, to not overlap services. It'll help your you know, resources go further, um, you know, but it's going to take effort. And I think that's where a lot of us fall short is we wait for somebody else to do it. And I think, you know, I don't think it's too crazy to say, I, I mean, I think that God's, God's going to honor the fact that we approach things in a in a kingdom sense in that way. And, and so when, when we're not trying to hold everything to ourselves and trying to, to only, you know, pursue, you know, pursue our goals, but we're, we're dealing in an open handed way with, you know, with other people and, and we're willing to, to give away to see their ministries thrive. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, God's honored by that. That's, you know, that's a, and, and he's, and he's going to bless that as well. And, um, and, and all too often, I think we get, we get lulled into a sense of not thinking that's important and, mm-hmm. and thinking that those, you know, those other urgencies that are really apparent to us are the important things. And so I just, I love hearing, you know, the fact that even at the beginning of this and, and, you know, you guys are not far in, but you're in <laughs> and you're, and, and you're thinking in a way of, of not just feathering your own nest, but, but ultimately about, you know, a, a wider transformation and, and a wider impact. And I, I just, man, I appreciate that so much and, and really thankful um, for the, for the work that you're doing there. So, you know, anybody listening to this podcast for more than one episode knows that you're speaking my love, love language with collaboration. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just, I was very excited with that last answer. I, I, I was encouraged when we talked about, what you guys are doing. Um, Brandon Stiver with 1 Million Home actually introduced us and uh, the work that 1 Million Home is doing in the collaboration area as well. 
is fantastic. And I just absolutely love seeing kingdom collaboration in real ways, you know, not just talking about it, not just saying we need to do it, not just rah-rah speeches, but actual collaboration. It's just super encouraging. Um, I'm very excited to see what God continues to do with it. And we've been talking about a lot of different possibilities with collectives around the world for training, for for working together to get people the resources they need. Um, you guys are a big part of that, you know, kind of piloting these little things around the world that will together be doing some pretty awesome things that I just can't wait to see. So keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. So with that, we're going to come to the last couple questions that uh, we ask all our guests. Again, I, I start, the, it's kind of the sandwich, this is the bread of this, the <laughs> questions that I really, I, I love hearing the answers to, you know, just, just hearing what you got to say about this one, which is what have you read, watched, or listened to recently that has informed your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Mm -hmm. um, one is I was listening to church this weekend and the pastor was talking about uh, Tim Keller addresses this issue in his book, Counterfeit Gods. Um, and I actually, I'm, I'm home in America right now. And so I got up into my parents' attic and dug through multiple boxes trying to find this book, which I know I owned, but I couldn't find it. I think I lent it to somebody. So <laughs> it was a wasted trip into the attic. But um, he talks about in this book, the difference between surface idols and source idols mm -hmm. um and it just like really hit on this idea of like root causes right you know he talks about four source idols of of comfort approval control and power you know and and from those things come these you know surface idols you know of, of money and sex and drugs and other things and and just the idea that like within our own lives like we need to be looking at that but it's a, it's a framework and it's a mentality that we can also approach into our ministry, into our, into our work that you know, what's the root cause, what, what's the source idols of, of the families that we're dealing with that are ending up in these situations, um, you know, that are neglecting or abusing their kids or whatever. How do we help them draw back, you know, to God and overcome these things? And so um, another one too, um, I remember seeing this, I was on a website the other day, and I saw a little thing for, for Jed Medifin's book, Becoming Home. And I was sitting with, with one of our other staff members. And I said, hey, have you ever read this book? I said, you need to, I said, I have it at home. I need to get it for you. It's a little tiny, like one to two hour read, Becoming Home. And it's just, it's just excellent. Um, little read, little refresher, you know, even, you know, you may live, live and breathe, you know, this work every day, but you know, take, take that one in the bathroom with you, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> work through that just as a good little encouragement. So yeah, those are great. Yeah. You know, uh, Jed's book isn't on audio yet. So I, you know, Bill hasn't read I, it. Then, I obviously. don't um, No, I actually read it cause it has some pictures and stuff in it. So I, I, <laughs> I, I definitely made it through that one. It was, I was going to say it's so. small enough. You could probably call Jed and just ask him to read it. I, I tried that. <laughs> I tried it, um, but he's too busy. Story he's too time. busy for every, him. everybody during COVID is doing story time. So that's true. That's true. Hey, you heard it here first folks. Jed Medifin's too big yeah. time to read to fill. So well, the problem is he moved off of Pacific time, so it's too late when it's my bedtime for him to, you know, get on the phone. When he was there in California, you know, we were able to do that, but you know, it's too late now. Well, Jimmy, the other question that we we always want to ask our guests is is who who is the one person that's most impacted how you think about um, how we can love orphan and vulnerable children uh, with excellence. Mm-hmm. When, when I worked in the church world, I, I used to like get that question a lot as a pastor, like, who do you, who do you follow? Who do you read? Like, who's the, you know, who's kind of the one pastor, you know, theologian you look up to. And I was, in, in some ways I was always kind of a little bit like put off by it, you know? <laughs> and, and I think it's obviously like, it's good to have heroes and it's good to have role models. Right. But like, especially in pastoral work, like, well, not to be cheesy, but like, if your answer is not Jesus, then like you have a problem. Right. Like if you're, if you're, you know, if your idol is this pastor or that pastor, then, you know, you're probably going to end up, you know, 
in not a good place one day. So um, in, in, in the spirit of our, our conversation about collaboration, you know, I'd say I, I would never just pick one, right? Yeah. Like my, my thinking, you know, my philosophy, my passions about the work that we do have all just been like slowly shaped through lots of conversations mm-hmm. and experience and in, in, in trying to continually evaluate and learn. Um, and, and so, you know, I'd say like, if, if you're looking for, Oh, who, who am I going to read next? You know, who am I going to, you know, what, who's somebody I can follow on, on Twitter or Instagram or, or something. I'd say, don't, don't look for one, like mm. look for 20 people, like mm. find 20 people around you and, and be mindful when you talk to them, like have, have more pointed conversations, like do more collaboration. Like, like I said, you know, start a networking group. Um, man, one thing that's just, it's just amazing is, is find somebody else and just meet with them just to hear what they're doing and why, what are you doing in your ministry? What are you doing next year? Why are you doing that? How are you thinking? Um, just to hear from, from people on the ground, you know, and, and just keep that open, that open mindset. Um, cause it is, I, like I said, like, you're not going to get much out of it. And you might feel like, oh man, I just wasted an hour of my busy schedule, like having coffee with this guy, but it, it'll be that little bit of salt that you need, right. Mm-hmm. To make everything taste a little bit better. So that's awesome. That's great, um, Jared. You're, and I think you might be the first guest to tell us that one of our questions put you off a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> that's it's all right. You know, that's good. That's good. I, 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 we're not going to scrap this question if that's what you were hoping for. But the good news is there's no wrong answer to any of our questions, you know. So that was great. No, I mean, in all seriousness, though, I totally agree with what you're saying there. I mean, as I said, I'm, I'm a team guy. I, I love um, – you know, just really learning from a lot of different people. Absolutely love that um, response. You know, it, it's a safe answer on this show that to just say Rick Morton, because I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but Rick wrote the ology book on orphan <laughs> with orphanology. So if you haven't picked that up, we have this thing. You haven't been back in the U.S. that long. It's this thing called Amazon. So if you can't find that counterfeit God's book. You know, you can probably go on there and get Rick's book while you're at it. It's probably the one at the bottom that says bought with this book usually because Rick's like every orphan care book. It's Rick Morton um, is one of those three books at the bottom. And they're obviously so, running neck and neck every time there's a Tim Keller book sold. Yes. There's one of my books sold. Yeah. So that, no, not, that's yeah, obviously yeah, true. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, on that note, Jared, thank you. Um, all seriousness, bring it back to the serious here. Thank you so much for for what you're doing. Thank you so no much doubt. for, um, you know, just what Akisa's doing yeah. and what God's doing in and through you guys over there in, in Jinja, Uganda and throughout Uganda and how it's impacting the whole region and no doubt the world um, with the work that you guys are doing collaboratively. Very much uh, excited, very much encouraged and just want to thank you for that. So Jared, my wife would kill me if I didn't say this before we were done, but uh, she's a Noonday ambassador. And so part of Giving Day today is uh, she's been uh, she's been working to uh, to make sure that Akisa makes a little money today and uh, yeah. through through the sale of uh, Noonday jewelry. So excited yeah. to see that and excited to see you guys out there in that way. Yeah, they're doing a give back a percentage to all their sales to Akisa. So we're That's super great. excited for that partnership. So awesome. That's well, thanks again, brother. So, All right. Thanks so much, guys. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, thanks again, Jared, for just, you know, being a part of the show for all that you're doing over in Uganda. It's, It's just so encouraging to me, Rick, and I assume it is to you as well to just hear not just what they're doing, but his heart just his yeah. his passion for working with other organizations his passion for working for these children that that nobody's fighting for really you know and sure. and it's just this 
it's something that we hear about. It's something that we talk about a lot, and to see it in action, and to hear about him yeah. from other people as well, to know that he's not just spouting off words here, but this is the real deal. That you know, I, I've I'd never met him before talking to him about this. I'd heard about him. I'd heard him, you know, different things about Akisa, but to get to know him, I've just been very, you know, I'm definitely better for it. How about you? Yeah, man, absolutely. And I was, I was really um, just, you know, encouraged to hear the things that he said about, um, about valuing children and about the, you know, about the idea that, that that's a place to start with, um, you know, with parents and a place to start in reunification. And, you know, personally having been involved for a number of years in, in a ministry and partnering with a ministry in Kampala that works with kids with disabilities, uh, you know, blindness and deafness. Um, you know, what we've seen in that has, is that, that, that the initial, the initial problem is not, is not dealing with, really the fruit of the disability it's it's helping the community and helping ultimately the family understand these kids are created in the image of god and and that there's that they have worth and they have dignity and and it's not because of what they can do or what they can't do or um you know or or any affliction or anything else it's it's about the fact that they you know they've been given this dignity because you know because they're a reflection of of god and who he is and and um and, and the really cool thing in that is, you know, watching that over the years, not only transform families, but it transforms communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, the communities watching. And so when when ministries are esteeming those who are disregarded and who are, you know, despised by, you know, in, in many cases by the rest of the community, it really, um, you know, it, it, it speaks and it has a it really has a transformative value. And it, quite frankly, um you know, puts the gospel on display in, in a, in a way that very few other things do. And so it was just, that was just really cool to hear. And, and he really articulated that well. And I was really appreciative of, um, you know, just of the things that he said there. And, and I wholeheartedly agree with him that the, you know, one of the next looming questions for us in this community is um, what are we doing to, to minister to kids that are, um, you, you know, that are, that are struggling with dis, you know, disabilities, because that is, that is an, that is a marginalized group within the marginalized group that we minister to that are getting very, very little attention on the whole. Absolutely. Now, and that was something that really stuck, you know, struck me talking about, you know, if we don't do something about it, that's the only kid, those are the only kids that are going to be left in institutions. And we're just going right. to have a bunch of kids that, we just don't know what to do with and that that's something that we have to that's yeah he talked about it so we don't we we don't need to belabor that i think it's he he stated it as well as it could be stated so you know that's a point to ponder carrying away from absolutely and i think that's probably the takeaway for me i think it's the takeaway for you sounds like i don't want to put words in your mouth although i do that all the time so um (laughs) but uh you know i i think that uh that's it's also a good place i think to just to leave off i think we talked about a lot of our thoughts throughout that interview uh because it was i think both of us were uh really encouraged by it and also just it raised a lot of things that we all need to be thinking about so with that um rick do you have any final parting thoughts other than what you've already said Man, not uh, not at all. Just uh, really uh, thankful for for Jared. Thankful for the opportunity to talk with him, and always glad to be able to, you know, have this conversation. So we'd love to hear from you, and and love to for you as our listeners to reach out with questions, thoughts. Um, your kind of what what are your takeaways as you're walking away from this, and uh, what can we learn, and and what do we need to yet learn. Um, and, and we'd love to, we'd love to hear your thoughts and, uh, maybe even shape some of the things that we do in the future here on, on the podcast. Absolutely. You know, and in this interview, I, this wouldn't have happened if one of, as I said, Brandon Stiver introduced me to Jared. And so it wouldn't have happened without you folks mm-hmm. out there sharing who you think we should be interviewing, who you think we should be connecting with and connecting us with them, you know, and, yeah. and join in the Facebook group on the Think Orphan Facebook group and that's where this came from is just I I put on there who who should I be interviewing and that's what came back and so 
one of the things that came back some other people that were going to get on as well um, were, were there so those are things that we absolutely want you to be part of that Facebook group you know email us info at thinkorphan.com uh, that's another way to get a hold of us rate and review the show subscribe if you haven't done so already so you don't miss any episodes folks it is giving Tuesday if this is something that you do want to give to to the to the podcast to keep it going uh, you can do so just at the providenceworld.com website you can go to there the giving page and there's a little spot there to give to think orphan uh, if that's something you do we don't really ask that on this show uh, but since it is Giving Tuesday and since we want to give, we want to make sure you know how to. So there, there that is. We appreciate your downloads. We appreciate your engagement. And mostly we appreciate that you are taking everything that you're, you're listening to here. You're engaging it. You're helping it or you're using it to shape how you think about how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.